This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash local hustlers podcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash local hustlers podcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, your go-to source for connecting with small businesses and entrepreneurs in the East Valley. Get ready to be inspired by local entrepreneurs as they share their stories, mindset, best tips, and advice. And now, your co-hosts, Dallin and Eric Huso. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers Podcast. This week, we're super excited to be here with Ian Juck with Absolutely Delightful Arizona Honey. How's it going, Ian? Doing pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, that's a mouthful to say all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Not uh, to mention our mouths are watering talking about honey today. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, take a couple of minutes and give us a little bit of a background on your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the back, my background in my life, and um, this is also kind of the story of my family, yeah. is uh, we started a honey business. My mom started a honey business in 2001. I don't think she really made it official until like 2003, but um, at the time I was like nine years old and I was watching Saturday cartoons and she was like not having it. She was like, you need to learn like about business. You need to learn about like your community and stuff like that. And so um, she had a connection through the farmer's market uh, and she used to go and shop at the local farmer's markets. And, um, she realized, uh, at the time that honey was really only available at the end of a farmer's booth at the farmer's market. Hmm. And, uh, she just thought like, Hey, like there's a, like we're in Arizona. There's a lot of like potential there because, you know, people love honey. Yeah. And with in Arizona, there's a wide geography. And so there's lots of different options available to us. So, um, so maybe I'm derailing a little bit here. Um, but our story just kind of starts there. Realizing that opportunity, she wanted my sister and I to grow up um, in sort of a business setting or have something of our own that we could all work together on to collaborate and help grow and she really likes the customer or like you know customer interaction she likes being able to take care of customers and meet a need and you know interact with people she loves that aspect of things and she wanted to pass that on to us so that's kind of our background there yeah, yeah. uh what tv shows were you watching that she uh, oh, <laughs> had man. to take you off the couch i was watching uh pokemon at the time i was watching <laughs> i think uh the ninja turtles nice. like oh, yeah like any any saturday cartoon that i could just you know flip on the tv just all the classics was, yeah that was driving my parents crazy <laughs> yeah so, so was, was the honey business something that your mom was personally passionate about? I, not necessarily the business, but like, was she personally like totally into honey? Is she a naturalist? Is she like the health benefits? Was it an economic issue that she started the business? Besides getting you off the cartoons, right. what were some of the motivating factors for your mom to start this? So some of the motivating factors, I mean, beyond just teaching my sister and I a little bit about business, um, it was like partially, she didn't have a job at the time. She was working for like, I think she was working for a car dealership and she just wanted something on the side. Um, she had shopped locally and she had an interest in supporting something that was local. Um, something she wanted to have a small business of her own. And so, um, all of those played a factor. It was just, and it just seemed to work out that way. It wasn't really like a passion for honey per se like none of us were really trying to become beekeepers like she was holding down a job at the time like i said um but it it was about maybe supporting local and and having a a small business of our own and so that's really kind of where that emanated from did was there anyone in your family before this who had started a business because a lot of parents when their kids are watching tv they'll make them go do yard work or sign up for a sports team but you guys started a business instead i'm wondering if if there was any, you know, role models or any other family members who encouraged you guys to take that route instead. 
Uh, well, it was more of an inspiration from her family background. Okay. Um, she came from a small town in Canada where her parents owned a jewelry store. And so it was kind of, it was almost a generational thing where they had started something of their own and she wasn't really able to like pass that on to us, but she wanted to bestow the same values because she felt like that was really important to her when she was growing up and her coming of age experience. So she wanted to help pass something on like that. And she had had that experience. And so that's kind of where the, where she was coming from. Awesome. You mentioned that you guys didn't want to do like the actual beekeeping. Did you end up doing that or did you guys connect with beekeepers? What did that side of the business look like? So we actually connected with a beekeeper. We started, um, we connected with Dennis Arp who runs Mountaintop Honey Company in Flagstaff, Arizona. And he's one of the bigger beekeepers here in Arizona. He's just a really down to earth, awesome guy. But most beekeepers, they don't end up going to the farmer's markets themselves. A lot, of the, the, a lot of the money that's actually made in beekeeping is through pollination, especially when you reach a larger size. It's through crop-based pollination. It's through um, larger sales of honey and not like direct to consumer out okay. at the farmer's market level. So uh, when she had connected with him, she said, hey, how would you like somebody to represent you in the Phoenix area since he's all the way out there in Flagstaff. And so that's how we got started is we just started representing Dennis Arp from Mountaintop Honey Company. And then along the way, we would meet all kinds of different beekeepers, uh, small, mid-sized beekeepers, um, and some even larger operations. And we would uh, work with them to offer customers here locally, seasonal varietals of honey. So all different kinds. I mean, if you think about the wide geography of Arizona, you have mm. um, you have the citrus groves in Mesa, which produce a different kind of honey than alfalfa or like a desert wildflower. A lot of people that come to us are looking for something, some honey to help them with like allergy purposes. Um, a lot of locals will move here from out of state thinking that it's the desert, nothing blossoms. And then all of a sudden they have these allergies at the beginning of the year. And they're going, What's going on? <laughs> And so um, we, we've learned all of this through the beekeepers, um, working with the beekeepers, understanding the qualities of honey and um, just over, I mean, it's over two decades now. We've just amassed yeah. this knowledge of, you know, what's been going on with the bees throughout this whole time and then working with the beekeepers to help get their product to market. That's great. I've got a question on you mentioned the qualities of honey and yeah. I'm sure that you have a taste for honey. Oh yeah. Um, I'll just give a hypothetical scenario. If you're walking down the aisle of Costco mm-hmm. uh, here in Arizona, you'll see Arizona honey. And if you go to California, same exact honey bottle, same label, but it says California local honey. And if you're, I was, you see it in Utah, Utah, local honey, like whatever state you're in, that Costco bottle of honey looks exact same, except it says the state local honey. Yeah. So for the lay consumer, yeah. uh, what should you be looking for in, in terms of a quality of honey? And and can you taste the difference between these different things as a, as a lay consumer, consumer as opposed to professional? Yeah, definitely. Um, so... <laughs> I guess I've been a bit, I've become a bit of a connoisseur (laughs) after like spending all of this time, like sampling different kinds of raw honey. Yeah. Um, and, and part of it's like an education of like how honey is harvested, how it's distributed in the United States and like, uh, just how that like works. Uh, so, I mean, if you're buying local honey from Costco here in Arizona, chances are it's coming from Crockett, which is actually a local, uh, it's a local beekeeping operation, but they're, they're massive. They're, they're very big operation. Um, at least compared to any of the beekeepers that we work with. Um, and typically when you're buying honey in a Costco and you're seeing it like labeled Arizona or Utah or whatnot, chances are it is coming for your, your location. Most of the time it's not raw honey. Um, and the difference there just being that like raw honey hasn't been filtered to the point where like the natural pollens and the enzymes are no longer like, like, um, present in the honey or like they're undetectable, which is super suspect from like a quality perspective because, you know, 
the pollens, the local pollens that you can find in honey are what can be used to trace back where it was harvested. And so if it's missing local ingredients and it's labeled one way, then you don't know really other than what's on the label. And beekeepers, especially at that scale, they store all of their honey in these huge drums. And so they'll mix and match depending on what's in season. So you could be getting wildflower, you could be getting orange blossom, you could be getting just a mishmash of anything. And these beekeepers will trade honeys as well. Um, I'm not sure if I quite answered your question. I think in part, like the quality of the honey is different in the sense that when you're doing it at a commercial scale like that, most of the time your average consumer just wants a liquid honey. Yeah. Like they want something that's never going to crystallize. And a big part of us at the, like us at the farmer's market, a big part of our job is to educate consumers about like, look, quality honey will crystallize. It'll thicken. Like that just naturally happens. Um, it's a syrupy substance. And as it dehydrates, which can happen for a variety of different reasons, it'll thicken up and you can heat it back up or like there's other means of like treating your honey, but like that's a part of it. And they're not even playing that game. They're just going, okay, we're going to heat the honey and we're going to filter it to the point where like the end consumer is just going to be happy with this liquid honey that we've made. So that they're not even concerned with that. Makes sense. Right. With the beekeepers that, that you guys are working with, uh, number one, how do you find and connect with these beekeepers? And number two, how do you um, filter out or, or make sure that they're producing a quality honey that you're going to be confident in selling to your customers? Right. Yeah. Um, a big indication is whether or not the honey crystallizes. So that's if we get a honey that doesn't crystallize for a long period of time, that's like a okay, what's happening there sort of thing. But also like most honey, you can run it through like a coffee filter or some sort of filter and you'll be able to see the pollen that's in it. Like you can, you can tell by sight to some degree whether or not it's the real deal. Um, some beekeepers, they'll heat up the honey just to keep it liquid. And so you'll get what they'll call a pecan honey. So it gets really, really dark. Um, and it has a different flavor profile as honey concerned. So that was mostly in line with quality. Yeah. Um, we've met most of our beekeepers just through word of mouth, really. Like at first we reached out to Dennis Arp and, but from there, like being out at the farmer's market, like beekeepers would come up to us at the market and go, Hey, this is cool. Like, would you represent me here? And we'd be like, yeah, like how big is your operation? And like, what is it that you have in stock? Or like, how do you operate? And then we go and we, you know, visit them, check out their operation, buy a bucket or two of honey and, you know, take it from there. Like yeah. see if the quality was there, like if it met kind of our standards, was it crystallizing? Did it look suspect, you know? Um, and we would just ask them questions about like their process and, and that kind of thing, which, mm -hmm. yeah. Great. Are you guys doing any private label honey? Um, or is everything no. under your own brand? Oh, uh, we put everything under our own brand. Like we do everything as like, it's all absolutely delightful honey. But on every label that we do, we say, uh, we'll say like this was harvested from this location. And if the beekeeper wants the credit, we'll put like their beekeeping, mm -hmm. like their name of their operation on the side of our jars. So yeah. like, we're not trying to hide like we're representing local beekeepers and we're not trying to take the credit of the beekeeper. Most of them, I think um, most beekeepers, they're not really at the point where they want to come out to the farmer's market. There are some beekeepers out there that will do the farmer's markets, but most of the beekeepers that we work with are like, no, like that consumer stuff that you guys are doing have at it, like go educate people, you know, have those kinds of conversations but they're much more interested in being able to sell sell honey at a like at, at scale. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask, especially for like the smaller beekeepers. What's stopping them from going to the farmers market? Are they still able to sell at scale? Yeah. Does it have much to do with you know their what they're good at is just making the honey, and they know that you guys are good at, at, at dealing with the customers and selling it, and you guys are both just focusing on on your strengths there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Um, the beekeepers that we work with, a lot of them. Um, 
either they're way outside of town, so they're not in close proximity to like the Gilbert Farmer's Market mm-hmm. or the downtown Phoenix Farmer's Market. Um, and it is kind of when you're at the point of selling directly to the customer, like you're fielding questions that when you're a larger beekeeper or a mid-sized beekeeper, like it can be very frustrating to deal with a, a customer yeah. who maybe doesn't understand that. Like I had a lady, um, at one of my markets a few weekends back and she told me that honey should never see the light of day. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like you mean like it should never be heated. And she was like, no, like it should never be in a glass jar and see light at all. And I was like, if I was a beekeeper, that would be a very frustrating experience to be like, okay, I don't think you understand how this food works. And and if you're selling like a 14 ounce jar and you're having to haggle over the price of the cost of the honey and that kind of thing, it's a really frustrating experience for people who are trying to start working at scale. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that we fill a need there um, because we're, we're willing to sit there and go, okay, well, hold on. Like, where did that come from? Like, where, and is that, is that a valid thought? And can we educate you maybe right. on like what the beekeepers say and what the common best practices are around this? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Can you give us like a quick timeline from, from the bee to, to your guys' shelf, what the whole process is of, of creating the honey for the beekeepers and then, and then sending it to you guys, packaging up yeah. until you sell it to the consumer? Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's always different just depending on the size of the operation. Okay. The larger beekeeping operations, um, they have commercial equipment, which is you know thousands and thousands of dollars to buy and then maintain. Um, and so they're also dealing with it in the size of drums. And so some of them, like uh, Dennis Arp of Mountaintop Honey Company, he has um, he has an extractor that feeds into like a giant storage for the honey. So after he harvests it from his hives, he has an extractor that'll um, they decap the honeycomb. It drips down and into like a large storage container. From there, it gets funneled like. He has, it's a whole like warehouse where it gets funneled from this storage unit to, uh, a thing that he can use to like bottle it into barrels. And so from there he'll keep it in barrels. Um, and then like, I don't, on timeline, like usually the harvest season is springtime to, uh, late summer. Okay. And so. Um, it can always vary just depending on like what's blossoming and what the beekeeper is doing for the health of the hive. Uh, but that's just kind of, they'll get it from the, the beehives. They'll extract it. Um, like Dennis Arp, he has his contraption where he will funnel it into the barrel. We will get it. We normally get it in like buckets. We've only recently started buying it by like the barrel from one of our beekeepers. Um, and then from there, we do the bottling, the labeling, and bringing it out to the farmer's market. Nice. Yeah. So you guys have been in business 18, 20 years now. I um, yeah. would love to just hear um, some of the milestones that you guys have made over the years, maybe some of the struggles that you guys have faced yeah. um, as you've continued to grow and, and stay in business for such a long time. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, uh, so yeah, we've been in business since about 2001. Um and it was largely started and championed by my mom. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, me being here today to be on your podcast, it kind of takes some people back when it's not my mom being the forefront person that's, you know, she's not the, um, the one who's manning the social media. She's not the one who's going on uh, whenever we're on the local news or something like that. And it's really because she enjoys the working with customers themselves. And she's not like... She doesn't really understand like social media and the technology hurdles and stuff like that. So this is very much since the very beginning been like a group effort. So we as a family, we just kind of pitch in here and there. Like we've developed skills like I um, do some of the photography and the like the website for our honey business. And I help her with some of the day to day operation type stuff. And um and the technology components because that's always been just a challenge for her 
Um, my dad has helped us with the accounting end of things like bookkeeping and stuff like that over the years. And my sister is just an awesome customer service person. And so like really as a team, we've come together to try and solve all of the problems that your average small business will have. And we've been really lucky in the sense that like it hasn't affected our family dynamics where we can't sit across the dinner table from one another. You know, like doing a business with a with family is always kind of a dicey situation. Sure. But, um, you know, we've had our struggles for sure as far as that goes. But it's I think it's really helped. Um, I think it's really helped us all grow uh, individually because it's challenged us to to use our strengths and to work together and to pursue a common good amongst all of us. Yeah. So, um, you know, challenges associated with that, like there is a certain level of disjointedness that we have, like, you know, like it's a bit of a bumpy ride sometimes, but you know, we're here for it. Um, yeah, I, I think one of our biggest challenges challenges as of late was, uh, COVID the COVID crisis in 2020. Um, that was probably one of the biggest like uh oh moments for us because uh i was working a full-time job in 2019 and i decided to quit my full-time job and to come back to help the hunting business because i was worried about what this was going to mean for the farmers markets i mean at the time there were conversations going around about, okay, do we shut down the farmer's markets? Is that going to happen for two weeks? Is that going to happen for two months? Like, how can we do this safely? Um, so very quickly, I was like, okay, we need to make sure that our website is up and like can take orders and that we've got this at least somewhat together so that if, you know, if the markets go down for whatever reason, that we can still reach our customers. Um, so that was one of those moments where it was, it was really scary, but everybody chipped in. I mean, my, my sister, she was, uh, she got lucky and got a full-time job around the same time that COVID was happening. She went from working in childcare and she, she's a single mom with two young girls. And so she got lucky in the sense that she got, you know, a new job, but that meant that now the two nieces were out of school and at home. COVID was happening. The markets might shut down. Our website isn't quite there. Like, you know, it was one of those moments where it was like, oh, <laughs> like we got to get it together. Yeah. And um, we did. Like, I, I think that it was, you know, I worked with my mom to make sure that the website was there, that uh, that we could take pre-orders uh, when needed, that we could make sure that to still reach our customers. Um, yeah. Uh, but luckily, like the markets didn't shut down. Like to, to champion the, the, especially like the Gilbert Farmers Market, um, the downtown Phoenix Farmers Market, those managers, they like, they really worked with the community to help keep that going. Um, despite all of the chaos that was happening at the time. And so we're very grateful for, I mean, we can't take credit for all of our success. We've been really lucky in that we've had, you know, great people to work with. Mm -hmm. yeah. It sounds like technology has played a big role in, in the business in general, but also you mentioned during COVID. Yeah. Um, if you want to touch a bit more on, you know, what exactly you did with, with the website or maybe with social media as well, what role technology really played and how you were able to kind of pivot um, and lean into that when COVID kind of hit. Yeah. Um, when COVID hit, the big thing was pre-orders. Um, people did not want to spend, like they still, customers really wanted to support local, especially out here in like the Gilbert area. They really wanted to support local and we needed a way to help facilitate um, having the least amount of risk while still shopping local. And so pre-orders was such a big component of that. And so that's what I worked on um, first was trying to set up, uh, make sure that we had pictures of our products and everything that looked good that so customers could see what they were buying, have details of what it is that they had um, of our different products on our website, and then make sure that they could just place a pre-order so it was just as easy as come by the market, we'll have it pre-packaged for you, just take it, go, so that way you don't have to spend much time here. And that was, you know, very... That was really cool to be able to do that as a small business, yeah. you know? Yeah.
you find yourself spending more time cleaning your pool than you spend swimming in it, then you need to get in touch with Flamingo Pools. Flamingo Pools is your go-to swimming pool maintenance and repair company in the East Valley. Whether it's weekly maintenance, repairs, green-to-cleans, or one-time cleanings, Flamingo Pools is there to take care of you. Here's a few things that makes Flamingo Pools stand out from the crowd. When you first sign up for service, they'll give you a free complimentary inspection of the pool to make sure everything is running smoothly. They'll also email you a service report with a picture attached after every visit so you know when your pool has been cleaned. They also offer a mineral treatment, which will keep your chemical levels down, allowing you to have a healthier bathing experience. At Flamingo Pools, they know that your pool was made to be enjoyed, so let them handle the rest. Check them out at azflamingopools.com or give them a call at 480-422-6013. Mention this podcast and get your first month of weekly maintenance free. That's azflamingopools.com and 480-422-6013. Any other tips you have for working with family members, how to make sure it runs as smoothly as possible? Um, gotta have candid conversations. Yeah. You have to be able to, you know, like there are times where like you can't, it, it doesn't make sense to confront somebody on something, but after a while you have to be able to sit across the table from one another and be like, Hey, I like, this is going on and I don't like it. And we need to come to some sort of common ground here. Mm-hmm. And luckily that's just kind of how my family culture is, is we can give it to each other straight. And while some feelings get stepped on, it's like, this is a common good that we're all trying to work towards here. And so just having the understanding that we're working towards a common good, um, and that this is not a personal slight on anybody is important. Yeah. Love that. And did you always have that agreement, that unwritten agreement that you would have candor with each other? Or is that something that developed over time? That had to develop over time. At first, um, when my mom started the business, when we were still young, uh, it was just kind of like us as kids, we weren't that invested in it. And she was like, hey, you got to get it together. Like we're whether you like it or not, you're not going to stay at home and watch cartoons. You're going to come here. You're going to help customers. Like you're going to help, like help me. And so it took, you know, after we made a few, my sister and I made a few sales and connected with customers and had some investment in being there. Then it was like, okay, this is a common good. We need to make sure that like we're, you know, on time, that we're there consistently, that we're taking care of our customers, that we're providing something like we're providing value to our customers. And um, then my dad started seeing what was going on and he wanted to help contribute. And so like, then we worked with him to help sort out, like, I'm not a financial person myself and neither is my mom or my sister. And so he just kind of fit that niche. And um, he came into it with kind of that, that understanding of like, you know, we're going to have candid conversations because not all of this is, you know, correct. Uh, but we're working towards a common good here. And I think that just amongst having other family members involved really helped, I think too, uh, because if I ever had a problem with my dad or if my sister ever had a problem with my mom, then we could always lean on one another and be like, Hey, like this is going on. Like, what do you think about that? And then they could be like, all right, well, you don't have it together because you've got this thing going on and you know, maybe they need to do that, but like you could really focus on this. And that really helped to have like a tight knit team in a sense where we could lean on one another in times of need. For sure. Yeah. I want to talk about your role in the business because you kind of mentioned how each person in your family has different talents and strengths and you kind of, you know, use that and come together and focus on what you're good at. So I want to talk about your role in the business and kind of how it's shifted over time because I'm sure what you're doing now isn't what you're doing when you were nine years old. So. Right. I want to hear, you know, originally what you were doing and how that kind of grew over time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, yeah, my progression has changed a lot over the years. At first it was, uh, it was my mom teaching my sister and I the importance of customer service business and all of that. And so it was a real learning experience first. So first it was, you learn. Yeah. Then as I got older, I was in middle school and I ended up telling my mom like, Hey, I've got this market. We were working at Roadrunner Park Farmer's Market at the time. I remember telling my mom like, Hey, I got this market, go get your own. And she was like, 
okay. So she took off and went to the downtown Phoenix farmer's market. And so then I started running like my own market, um, having to coordinate, making sure, cause I couldn't drive at the time, having to make sure that like I could get supplies to and from the market. Um, I was doing sports at the time. I had to tell coaches like, Hey, weekends are a no go and <laughs> explain that too. And like coaches in high school would be like, well, you know, this is really important. I was like, yeah, it's really important to you. And so like, that was a really tough conversation for some of them, but it was pretty simple for me. Um, and then even into college, like I was, I was helping to run farmers markets. Um, but I wasn't necessarily doing it. Like it was a great college job. I wasn't doing it at the time to be like a huge honey entrepreneur or anything like that. Like it was the whole mantra the way through for me was like supporting local beekeepers and being a part of the local community and that kind of thing. Um, I met my, mm, when I got a full-time job, it was actually from one of my customers who was like, she had been shopping from me for two years and was like, Hey, you got to come work for my company. So that was the job that I had all the way through till 2019. And I would still help out here and there. Like I would help out with the website for, um, our family business. I would try and help out with some social stuff. Um, it, it just kind of evolves like wherever the fire was is where I was, you know, if I, I've helped with like operations, making sure that, um, my, my mom likes to work with young adults because that same kind of philosophy that we started on of like teaching, you know, how to sell, how to run a business, how to hold yourself accountable, those kinds of things. Um, she likes to be able to provide like you know, young, like high school aged adults, like mm -hmm. those kinds of opportunities to connect. And so, um, I've helped like make sure to get product and everything out to them and help out with like the day-to-day -day operations type stuff. But, um, wherever the fire is needed. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So with all that experience, you know, it sounds cool to, to think you were in middle school saying that you're going to run the market by yourself. Yeah. Um, with all the knowledge and experience that you gained growing up, was there ever a time where you thought, you know, with all this experience I have, I can go start my own business? Have you had any other you know, thoughts and ideas of, of wanting to go a separate direction or are you pretty committed to, to the honey business? Um, I'm pretty committed to the honey business, uh, but... At the same time, like this is for me personally, I'm in this for like my mom. Like there was there was a point in time where we had a conversation about, you know, passing this on to the next generation. Yeah. And, you know, it's just given that my sister has found a career that she really enjoys um, and I'm not particularly inclined to become a beekeeper or do honey business myself. It's not looking like it's going to be like a family bestowing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that personally, I, I view my work at absolutely delightful as a means of carrying on what she started and just keeping that fire going. I mean, it's something that she really enjoys my mom. It's something that she really enjoys doing and being a part of, but she's not trying to at the same time become a honey tycoon. Yeah. I don't think any of us really are like we're in it for the humble pursuit of delivering quality local products to local customers and just enjoying the ride. Why did you guys pick um, farmers markets as your way to, to reach customers? Was there ever a thought of you know opening a retail location or just doing online? What what was um, appealing to you guys about being at farmers markets? Uh, farmers markets are where people are actually looking to get local honey, so it just made a lot of sense. Yeah, um, we actually opened up a retail store in October of 2020. Okay, um, it's in an office park, so it's kind of like an, an off the beaten path, like. Uh, sort of way but mm -hmm. it's very much my family style of just like find something that works and like make it happen yeah um and we yeah we opened up that store we're getting a decent amount of people that are coming in and checking out our stuff and it's actually really cool like um my mom enjoys working there because she can show customers like hey like this is where your honey actually comes from when show them the barrels and show them like the the type of equipment that like your average beekeeper or your your mid-sized beekeeper will likely have when they're bottling and, and doing the honey 
And um, so it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit more involved for the customer. They can actually get closer to that yeah. beekeeping experience. So yeah, she opened that up. Um, yeah. So having that retail location and then also being online, what are what are you guys doing to to reach potential customers and let people know about you if they're not at the farmers market and see you there? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the weak parts of our, our strategy has really been social media. I don't think any one of us are particularly like socially inclined, like social media type people. Um, and so like, that's, that's one of our weak areas, but I think that, you know, with the advent of social media and with so many people wanting to support local businesses and whatnot, like, I think that that's kind of a route that we need to pay more attention to. Um, and so like, we're currently speaking with, uh, actually a young adult, I think she's in college and, um, she might be helping us out with some of our social media. And I'm kind of excited about that because like, I, like I, you have to know one thing that I've learned with my family is, and, and, you know, attributing our different skills to things is like knowing when you're not great at something and being willing to pass that on to somebody else, uh, being willing to delegate. Um, and we're working with her and I'm really hoping that this new person, and I'm really hoping that, you know, she can have some fun with it. She can bring us maybe some new opportunities as far as like social media and, and create more of an online engagement than what I'm currently capable of doing. I'd love to touch on that subject a little more of, uh, I love what you said about, knowing if you're not good at something and being able to delegate that, that can be a hard thing for business owners to do. Um, whether it's uh, an issue of humility or just feeling like you have to do certain things because you own the business, especially something like social media uh, for like a local family owned business. Um, if, I don't know if you have any other experience on how that has benefited the business or just your thoughts on how delegating things that you might not be the best at can really help a business see success. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so delegating, delegating is really important because like, let me back up. I think that, you know, it, it's not inherent in us to just know like, okay, this isn't in my wheelhouse. I need to give this to another person and also know whether or not that other person is going to do it effectively and, and help you. So it helped in this, it helped to keep some things within our family because if something wasn't working, it could be taken out of their hands and it wouldn't be like considered a personal slight. Um, I think that one of the experiences that we've learned from when it comes to delegation is when we first got started, my mom is, like I said, I think before, my mom is not a financial person. And so doing the bookkeeping was just, it wasn't going to happen for her. Like she would sit at the computer and just complain out loud at how frustrating the experience was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so my dad eventually stepped in he was willing to, I, I mean, I think you just reach a point where, you know, like this isn't working, I'm going to need some help. And in having that trust in somebody else, whether it's family or somebody else to step in and give it another go and, like take a different perspective on things. Um, We as business owners or entrepreneurs or people invested in the business can be a little protective over our responsibilities, I think at times. And giving that up is it's, you know, you're giving up your baby, but at the same time, like you're getting a new perspective. You're, you're willing to accept new realities. And I think that's a moment of growth. And so if that's for your family members or if that's for hiring on a new person to do bookkeeping or social media or what have you, it's a willingness to accept that you're not the sole owner of knowledge. Yeah. No, I love some of the points you brought up there. And it's not always about being bad about something. It might just be a matter of not liking to do something like your mom with the bookkeeping. Like it's just probably not worth her time to be doing something like that. And she can focus on things that she enjoys. 
Um, and I also like what you mentioned about someone comes in with a new perspective because you might not necessarily be bad with social media, um, but someone else comes in with new ideas and different perspectives and things that you might have never thought of before. Right. Um, and so bringing different people with different mindsets onto the team can help a business grow in ways that you would have never thought before. Absolutely. All right, so I've been dying to hear about, uh, I know you've, you've briefly touched on it, but I really want to hear about some of the different honeys that you guys have. I know there's all these different types and flavors, so I really want you to dive into your menu and what you guys have to offer for yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of our best sellers is Desert Wildflower. I mentioned earlier that we sell honey for like allergy purposes. So uh, in the East Valley, we recommend Desert Wildflower that was harvested from Buckeye and Tonopah, Arizona. Uh, the reason for that is that a wildflower honey uh, has a wider variety of pollens to it. So as opposed to like an orange blossom honey that's harvested from orange groves, a desert wildflower has a much wider variety of pollen. And the pollen in the honey is what people want to help with their allergies. So it's kind of a hair of the dog sort of thing. And with a desert wildflower, you're getting a much wider variety. So you're more likely to find what it is that you're allergic to. Um, out here it's Ahwatukee alfalfa because even though we've named it Ahwatukee alfalfa, it is, it has some wildflower sense to it. Um, so that's one of my sister's best sellers out here at the Gilbert farmer's market is the, the Ahwatukee alfalfa. It's a darker, richer honey. Commonly we get asked like, what's the difference between a light honey versus what's the difference between like a, a dark mm-hmm. pecan honey or something like that. And I say rule of thumb is the light of the honey. It, generally speaking, it's uh, sweeter um, more floral honey and the darker honeys tend to be stretch, uh, stronger in aroma and flavor. So if you like to cook with your honey, I like recommend a desert wildflower or an Ahwatukee alfalfa in coloration. They're on the darker end of the spectrum. And because they have a very wonderful, like honey, classic honey flavor to them. Um, and they have that stronger flavor versus like an orange blossom goes really well. And like a, um, in like a green tea, or if you're going to use it on top of like a fruit salad or use it in baking as a different kind of sweetener than the processed variety. Okay. Right. Cool. Can your average consumer taste the difference between all those different honeys? Uh, some can, some like some will really, ha- um, what you'll normally get is people don't know what a crystallized honey is. And so if I'm trying to give somebody who doesn't normally try honey as a cus like if i'm trying to give them a honey experience then i'll have them try something like a camel thorn honey which is like um it's this like think solid white thick honey and because most customers here haven't really tried like a thick honey that's like that and so i'll have them try something like that and then i'll have them pair it with something like an awatsuki alfalfa which is a darker richer honey and the flavor comparisons between the two are broad yeah and so then absolutely you can taste the difference but you get the odd customer that's like no it's the same <laughs> yeah it's, it's like okay <laughs> yeah are there ever any uh other flavors added into the honey or does it all just come from you know the location and the pollen of, of those bees yeah so um i've mostly been speaking about our raw honey varietals because that's what we directly get from the beekeepers mm-hmm. But as of late, like there's been a huge trend when it comes to uh, flavoring honey, yeah. like uh, infused honeys. Um, we started working on uh, sour honey or what we call our bitter bee honeys, which are actually really cool. Um, my mom came up with some of the first bitter bee flavors that we currently have. And it was a hard sell for me because I was like, you're telling me that this is a sour honey. Like, is it fermented? Like, what is it? And then I tried it and I was like, oh, like, this is like candy. I was like, this is really good. Um, and and so, uh, yeah, we started doing that and we started doing some of the infused honey varietals and you're seeing a lot of like different hot honeys. Like, I think this coming weekend at the Gilbert Farmer's Market, we might have some of our like spicy chipotle. I love hot Pineapple honey. chipotle honey. Oh. Yeah. Um, we worked with some local cocktail mixologists to create different flavors. So, uh, they've made uh, coconut delight. They've made a Szechuan pepper. Um, oh. yeah. Grapefruit monsoon, which is like a grapefruit and cinnamon flavor. It's cool. a flavor combination used in tiki drinks. So like, yeah. And you put some of that honey on like charcuterie boards with like a brie cheese or, um, you know, just a slice of apple and a cracker. Like it's chef's kiss. 
<laughs> that's what I was gonna ask. What what the usage is for some of these more trendy, popular infused yeah, honeys? So for sure. Um, yeah, like, uh, with the like sour honeys, something that I recommend is like using that in like a parfait or putting it on top of granola. You could put it on top of like baked goods, like, um, uh, pastries. Um, we have whipped honeys that actually would make a great glaze for like a pastry. Like if you had a muffin or something like that, we have a cinnamon whipped honey. That's like a thicker texture, almost like a think peanut butter like texture that you could spread over top of it almost like a glaze okay so that's uh awesome the uh bitter bee honeys like i said uh granola use it as a sweetener for like a yogurt parfait you could put it on the rim of a cocktail glass for like a bitter uh for like a bee's knees cocktail um the super flavors or like the flavored honeys that we do like you could um you could use them for like uh, we have one that's like a Szechuan pepper and you could use that for like, if you were making um, like an Asian salad dressing, you could use that on orange chicken. I've used that to glaze onions, which is awesome. We've also done that with like Serrano lime, um, the spicy pineapple chipotle honey that I think we're going to have this weekend is um, awesome to put on like street tacos. You could put that on pizza. You could put that on like comfort food type deal. So there's a lot of applications for it. You're making me hungry. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I missed it if you said it. So what's in the, the sour honey, the bitter honey? What gives it that unique flavor? Um, so it's a citrus, and uh, it's a citrus flavor that we add to give it the like tartness to it. Yeah. And then we'll use like different natural extracts, like from orange to make the orange creamsicle, peach uh, for our peachy keen, uh, lemongrass, for the lemongrass tart and uh, apple. And so we'll just add like natural extracts. We're not adding like any extra sugars or, or anything right. like that. Um, we're using all natural ingredients for those, but yeah. Cool. And then anything else that you guys sell besides honey? Um, you know, like we do, uh, if you come to our shop, we sell the beeswax, okay. which some people are interested in for cosmetics. Um, some people use that for like, you know, like beard uh, products or um guitarists can use it for their guitars um artists use it for sculpture and carving and stuff like that um so we do the beeswax we have some beeswax candles we have different products from the hives we have the honeycomb itself um we do uh the bee pollen so if you're not interested in honey for allergies you can actually get the bee pollen itself some uh some people are who are really into uh nutrition like the bee pollen because it's uh, like it's a natural source of carbs and proteins, B vitamins, uh, antioxidants. So yeah, we do mostly hives, mostly products from the hive. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, tell us a little bit about what the future holds and what's next for uh, for absolutely delightful. Um, well, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think uh, part of what the future holds is working on our social media and trying to be maybe a little bit more have a bit. Uh, more of a electronic footprint yeah. than we do today. I think working on that and, and helping my mom to create that same kind of experience that she can make at the farmer's market online, I think that would be huge for us. Um, so trying to take that next step. Um, but as as a small business and, and just enjoying the ride, like we're uh, just we're just going to continue to serve our customers. Like that's the goal. Number one is like serve our customers, make sure that we're delivering a quality product and, uh, enjoy the ride. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then Ian, if you have maybe one last piece of advice to share with our listeners, uh, what would that be? Um, I think that it's important to have candid conversations. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a family business or if you're running a business of your own, it's important to be able to work with people who you can speak to candidly and who you can trust to tell you when you're not doing something correctly or if you could do something better. Awesome. Love that. Okay. Well, uh, before we close up, we've got a quick little game we're going to play with you. Okay. And how it works, we've got a list of 20 questions we're going to ask you. And you've got a minute to answer as many of them as you can. 20 questions. Okay, here we go. Okay, um, you can start that in three, two, one. Your dream vacation. Uh, dream vacation, Bahamas, going there October. 
First thing you'd buy if you won a million dollars. First thing I'd buy? Uh, oh, man. I don't even know. Uh, and more stuff for the honey store. Your favorite hobby? Favorite hobby? Me personally? Photography, for sure. If there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? Hmm. Dusting. A song you've been jamming to lately? Ooh. That's also a difficult one. Um... I don't even know. Can I pull up my phone? I don't think I have the time. You might, yeah, you, you can might want to skip that one. Okay, skip. If you live to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? If I, what? If you live to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? Oh, mind, for sure. Your favorite holiday? Uh, Thanksgiving. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, what's the Ben and Jerry's? Half-baked. There, there yeah. we go. Speaking of ice cream, is, is ice cream too sweet or is there any ice cream that you can drizzle a little bit of that, that honey on? Classic vanilla, or you could do like a raspberry with honey. That would be delicious too. Maybe a sorbet. Nice. Yeah. Let me go get that raspberry chocolate chunk. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> drizzle some honey on it. Man, are so. we going to get something to eat after this? Or <laughs> what? <laughs> Seriously. I know. You're talking about serving your customers. The best thing you can do is bring some hot bread and some honey to yeah. them, you know? <laughs> Let's make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Uh, Ian, I'm sure our our listeners are just as hungry as we are right now. So uh, let everyone know where they can connect with you, find out more about you, and, and come buy some honey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can connect with us on social. Uh, we're most active on Instagram at a d a z honey. That's our handle. Absolutely delightful Arizona honey. Um, you can also find us uh, via the corresponding website, uh, adazhoney.com. You can call my mom at 602. <laughs> call my mom. You can call Eleanor, the business owner. I've been at this for too long. I've been at this for too long. You can call my mom. <laughs> Did it again. You can call Eleanor at uh, 602-331-8721, and she likes to talk to people over the phone. If you have any questions on local honey or something after hearing this podcast, you want to know what's the best honey for you, give her a ring. Uh, you can also uh, reach her email, Eleanor, E-L-E-A-N-O-R, at adazhoney.com. Awesome. Um, and then I know you have a little special offer for our listeners if you want to share that real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so shortly after our podcast here today, I'm going to be uh, adding a dollar off coupon to our website. So if you go on and visit our website, there will be a dollar off coupon for the local or the visitors. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again so much for coming on today. We love having you on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. For sure. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks, Ian. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing. It helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.